Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. On today's podcast, I have returning guest, Anna Griffith. Anna is one of the nurse practitioners at Victory Men's Health, and she graduated from St. Louis University with her Bachelor of Science in Nursing. She went on to complete her doctorate in nursing from the University of Missouri-Columbia. The last time she was on the show, we discussed testosterone disruptors. On today's show, we're going to discuss frequently asked questions that Anna receives from her patients in regards to testosterone therapy. So I'm excited to have you back on the show today today, Anna. So let's get started. Thanks for having me, Amy. Okay, so we're going to hit on 10 or so FAQs today. And then we're going to follow this podcast up with a part two. So question number one is, once I start testosterone, how long before I start to feel better? Everyone varies person to person. Some people see improvement within the first couple of weeks. I usually give people the average of six weeks, because that's typically what I hear from patients. They say, I felt some improvement at first, but really at that six-week mark, I felt some systemic differences in my my overall health. But some people feel results much quicker than that. Yeah, and we live in such an instant gratification society. Now it's like when people take a vitamin D supplement, they're like, am I going to feel better tomorrow? It's like, or a B12 shot, am I going to have energy tomorrow? You're like, okay, <laughs> not everything is instant gratification. And I think we do hear some people will say, oh my gosh, right after my first shot, maybe it's placebo, maybe it's not. I felt amazing. And then other people, it takes a few weeks or even a few months to get dialed in. So also realizing that you might have to be patient with the process because we have to have you back every few weeks, few months to adjust your dose and get things dialed in. So you have to stay the course and understand there might be some adjustments along the way to get you to where you need to be. Exactly. I think we do a pretty good job of trying to decide what the right dose is going to be for a person from the start, but each person is individual. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to any medication or kind of regimen. So if it's not exactly the right dose for the person, then they might not feel improvement until we see them recheck their labs and then adjust the dose and then they start seeing the improvement too. So I always make mention of that as well. And that brings me to the next question. We offer creams, injections, pellets. Which one's better? Which one do you prefer? What's your advice to patients whenever they ask you? I really practice based off of shared decision making, meaning you give the patient pros and cons of each option, tell them all the details of the administration, and then talk to them about what they think is going to fit best into their lifestyle, because ultimately they're the ones that are going to have to do this. And if they can't stay compliant with it, then it's not going to be the best treatment, whether I think it's the right thing or not. So I think all of them, there's a place for each one for the individual person. The differences kind of between them are that Cream is nice because you don't have to use needles. Some people are deathly afraid of needles, and that's a problem, obviously. So cream is a daily application. A lot of guys 
just cannot get their head around applying a lotion every single day. I don't know what it is, but they just can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, women are applying like 16 (laughs) serums to their face a day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the daily use scares some people away from the cream. It's a transcrotal application. So other people just say, I don't want to use the ball butter. It's not my thing. So that's a problem for some people too. But it's basically just about finding something that you can be consistent with. The injections, sometimes once a week works great for people. Other times you get some highs and lows with that. So doing twice weekly injections is really a better way to stay on more of a steady state level. Pellets are an option as well. Those are more tiny grains of medication. They are almost the size of grains of rice, basically. And so those are inserted into the glute muscle usually every four to six months. And it's more of a procedural type thing. So you can get some scar tissue buildup and issues from that. But some people prefer that because you don't have to think about it for four to six months. So it's a little individualized. The most important thing is compliance and what fits into the person's lifestyle. Because if you're not going to be compliant on it, there's no point in doing it. And I think maybe let's talk about the ball butter for a second and why we would recommend applying the cream transcrotal versus on the shoulders, inner thighs, like if a patient had gone to a primary care doctor and and got on a gel or a cream, that is probably where they were told to apply. Yeah. So for clarification, those are patients' words, not mine. I usually <laughs> call it, you know, testosterone cream, but they apply it to the scrotum because the skin there is thin and it absorbs really, really well there. So Most people that use the gels, the patches, the things that are topical that apply to the shoulders, the arms, the chest area, gels just don't absorb very well. And you can hold that on the outside of your skin some. So if you give your kid a hug and it rubs off on them, the reason why we apply it transcrotally, you get really great results. Your levels are going to be much more optimal than with using a gel. And I think it's important to note with, let's say, androgel, for example, which a primary care doctor would prescribe, the dosing that you're prescribed, I'm not sure I've ever seen it get into optimal range. I mean, it might increase your testosterone a few hundred points, but rarely, if ever, have I seen an optimal range hit with the dosing of androgel. And you also can't apply gel transcrotal because of the alcohol content. So I think that's important to note. If you're listening, you're like, well, I have some of that gel in my cabinet. I'm going to start applying a transcrotal. No, don't do that because the alcohol content, it has to be a cream if you're going to apply it transcrotal. Really good comment on that for sure. The other thing to mention is the dosing, you don't always get one dose and stay on that your entire life. And your primary care doctor that's prescribing it, they might not be checking your labs as regimented as you would get at more of a specialty clinic for men's health. And I think insurance comes into play with the androgel and what insurance is going to cover. And it becomes a very complicated and expensive process as that dose starts to increase and the insurance companies aren't wanting to cover a higher dose of the androgel. We've seen that numerous times. Also, a question that we 
hear from time to time is asking about the bioidentical hormones. So let's talk about that as it relates to the pellets, the cream, and the injections, as we just discussed. Okay, so when you talk about bioidentical, people, I think, are just looking for that natural solution. And people are are looking for these things that are maybe not prescription or maybe close to their body's composition, which makes sense. I think that is something that we're all kind of drawn to, is not wanting to be on things that are unnatural, right? So when the bioidentical marketing kind of comes in, that's more just a marketing technique, basically. So bioidentical is talking about the hormones, chemical, molecular makeup. And so when you look at the testosterone molecule, you're looking at, is it identical to the one in your own body? They're still making it in a lab, whether it is bioidentical or it's the synthetic pharmaceutical grade, it's the same thing. It's just talking about, is there another molecule basically attached to it so that your body can grab onto it and use it appropriately. So if you have a completely identical testosterone injected into you, you use it up immediately. So when you use the pharmaceutical grade testosterone, you're able to have it and really utilize it better. Okay. So are testosterone pellets bioidentical? Yes. Are testosterone creams bioidentical? Yes. Are testosterone injections bioidentical? They are not. So the molecule is identical to our own, but there's an additional ester attached to it. So you hear about testosterone cypionate, testosterone enanthate, you know, these different types of injectable testosterone. And basically you have this additional molecule attached to it that has to be cleaved off and then it is bioidentical after that. Let's talk about the frequency of injections because that's another thing that we see if somebody's coming from a primary care setting that is on a testosterone injection, we'll hear they do an injection once a month or do an injection every two weeks. Talk through that and why that's not a good idea. Okay, so the half-life of testosterone is about eight days, like we just talked about with the esters. There's different esters. There's different ones that have different half-lives. But in general, basically, if you take a injection once a month or once every two weeks, your testosterone level might go up to an optimal range about three to four days later, which is the peak time. And when that happens, feel really good. But once you reach that peak, you start dropping after that. And when you take testosterone, you're turning off your own natural production of testosterone. So your levels are going to drop down to probably below where you started in the first place before your body would recognize, hey, I'm not being given it anymore. I need to turn on my own production. So it doesn't turn back on its own production meaning that your levels are going to drop below where you started. You might feel worse than where you originally started, and then you'll take another shot and go back up, meaning you're going to have this huge yo-yo effect and never get to a point where you really are feeling significant benefit, most likely, from the treatment. Yeah, exactly. So you have to do more frequent injections to get the benefit of testosterone. And Again, it depends on compliance, but would you agree that injecting a few times a week is the ideal scenario? Yeah. Yeah. Usually the twice-weekly injections are going to make you most stable, but 
Some people feel really great on a weekly injection. They don't have any side effects associated with it. So that brings me to my next question. We sometimes get asked, should I come on and off of the testosterone to see if my body can magically start to make it again? Because now that it has it, if I take it back away, will my body say, oh, now I'm going to do it on my own? Sure. So kind of like what I just said and what you just said, when you take testosterone, it turns off your own production. So when you stop taking it, you'll go down to probably a little bit below where you started. Your body will turn back on. And usually you go back to basically where you started. I have people who have stopped treatment for a period of time for whatever reason. They come back in. I always compare their original to where they're at now. And whether it's been six months, two years, five years, they're pretty much always right where they started, you know, not the exact number, but pretty darn close to where they started in the first place. So the cycling on and off of testosterone, that's a bodybuilding type technique. We don't do that here. So we're more looking at longevity, you know, making sure you're in an optimal range and functioning at a good quality function for every day of the week, you know, every day of the year, basically. I think it brings up a good point and a misconception. I think there's this misconception that once you're on testosterone and if you get rid of it, take it away, that you're going to go to zero. Because you'll hear patients say, well, I'm going to have to be on this the rest of my life. Well, yeah, if you want to feel good, you are going to have to be on it the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean you have to be on it the rest of your life. If you take it away, your testosterone isn't going to be zero. What you just mentioned, if it's one year, five years, somebody took a break, what you typically see is when they come back in and they haven't been on testosterone for a while, they're back to their original baseline when we saw them from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the question all the time. And sometimes it's very clear that testosterone is super deficient and that's the answer for people. Other times it's something that I've tried everything else, nothing else is helping my symptoms. Let me see if testosterone is going to help me. And what happens if it doesn't work? What if I feel the same? You can stop. You know, if if you don't feel any benefit to it, then you don't have to continue doing it. Another question that we get is, will my balls disappear? Testicular shrinkage. I don't know. Men are really more worked up about their balls than what I think that they should be. Personally. Okay. Well, you don't have any, Amy. You can't talk about that. You got to have some empathy about the ball shrinkage. Okay. So how do you answer that? Okay, so you may see some change in testicular size when you start TRT. And basically, this is more of an aesthetic concern like you're talking about. So some people describe it as more similar to when you go out in the cold. They just kind of are closer to your body. Other people see not as much difference in them, but it just kind of depends person to person. And there's things that you can do if you're a man and you're concerned about testicular size, you can take a medication called HCG, even though, long story, it's, it's a little bit more complicated to get these days, but HCG does restore testicular size, and maybe you can explain why that is. So HCG is something that is a usually a subcutaneous injection that you do a couple times a week, and the biggest kind of reason why we would use that is to maintain sperm production intertesticularly. It does maintain testicle size as well because the size of your testicles is 
potentially decreasing because when you take testosterone, it's decreasing your sperm production. Sperm are stored in the testicles. So if it's not making it, storing it, they're going to potentially have some atrophy. And basically HCG is the medication that's going to keep that production going so that you aren't decreasing your sperm count significantly if you have fertility concerns. And I just want to point out from a female's perspective, if you're polling two people, Anna and I, we are not worried about our spouse's testicular size. My husband is on testosterone and I have no complaints about his testicular size. So I just want to throw that out there. If men are wondering, it's really not an important attribute from a female perspective. Yeah, so always clarify testicles, not the other part. <laughs> hey, and it actually might make the penis look bigger, right? Testy smaller, That's penis bigger. That's always Lauren's joke. Yeah, one of our other providers. She reads the room first before making that comment, but she likes that one. So you talked about sperm count. So let's talk about testosterone and fertility, and let's talk about it from both perspectives. Men wanting to use it as basically a contraceptive, and also the men wanting to still have children. Okay, so this might be confusing for some people because when you think about testosterone as the manly man hormone, you would think that it would help your fertility. Well, taking it exogenously from injections, creams, pellets, whatever, you have this change in the mechanism of your own production. So basically your pituitary glands send signals to the testicles telling it to make more sperm and more testosterone when there's not enough. When you give somebody testosterone, it interrupts that signaling because you have plenty there. So it tells your body, you don't need to make more right now, go on vacation, you can chill out. So decreases your sperm and testosterone production when you are on testosterone. It's been studied pretty extensively as a contraceptive, I think since the 1970s as a potential, because there's not a whole lot for men to use as birth control. It's not consistent, so it's never been FDA approved. Basically, the studies do show a pretty strong decrease in sperm count. So after about three months, you can see up to 96% sperm reduction. And then at that two-year mark, you might have even zero sperm production. So it can be a pretty strong contraceptive, but it varies person to person. So there are people who still get their spouse pregnant or their partner pregnant when they're on testosterone. It's not to be used 100% as birth control. If you're thinking about getting a vasectomy, I still tell people to get one. If you don't want kids, I still tell people to use those preventative measures, basically. And then what about on the flip side for people that are wanting to have babies, but also be on testosterone? Sure. So if you are looking to conceive within the year, testosterone by itself is not the number one recommended option for you. Basically, if you have low testosterone, there's some other things to potentially start with. Clomid is a medication that is used frequently in younger guys who have low testosterone. It's a very common medication that can be effective at increasing testosterone levels in guys. That HCG is the other option, taking testosterone with HCG. You can see still a little bit of sperm reduction. Some studies show that it helps pretty much maintain your sperm production. Depends on which data you look at, but it's a helpful option. Yeah, let's talk about that data for a second because 
most of the data that I saw was when you use HCG in conjunction with testosterone, it keeps your sperm count almost exactly where it was at. Like there's not a major reduction in sperm count if you implement that medication with testosterone. Yeah, I agree. I just revisited this a little bit because what I had originally seen in some research was that when you take testosterone, decreases your sperm production by about 96%. With HCG, it might only decrease about 7%. However, other research I looked at where it had pretty large trials, randomized controlled trials, it showed that it maintained sperm production. So when you take HCG by itself, it can increase sperm production. So when you take it with testosterone, it evens out things. And I think it's important to note that it's not something that you have to be on from the very first day that you start treatment. Most men can implement this later in their treatment. If they're on testosterone six, nine months and meet somebody and they're like, oh, I thought I wasn't going to have any more children. Now I am. They could implement HCG at that time. Correct. Yeah. There's also research on that as well. Yeah. So basically the research I've seen in these randomized controlled trials with the best data showing, kind of looking at if I stop testosterone, will the sperm production come back if I'm off of everything? And in all cases, after two years, it went back to almost 100%. Not saying that it's going to take two years. People see improvement after three months. It kind of goes up from there. Okay, let's talk about some misconceptions that we get asked about. Will testosterone make me moody, angry? Most of the time we hear about the opposite. So I think people ask these questions because they hear about roid rage. And that is probably associated more so with estrogen blockers and all the other things that bodybuilders are taking outside of testosterone. Of course, just taking testosterone, usually people see huge improvements in their energy and having more energy makes everybody happier, right? You know, you typically hear about one of my patients just said that they bought their wife a new car after starting testosterone treatment. I'm like, that's great. Good for her. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you hear about, but I've had very rare situations where people say that they have changes negatively in their mood and likely related to other factors going on in your life. Yeah, I completely agree with this. I think sometimes when maybe a spouse isn't supportive of them being on the testosterone, that's kind of what they want to reach for. Like, oh, well, I don't want him to be a jerk or this and that. You're like, "Mm, I think you're reaching here for straws. And maybe there's an underlying issue that you need to address within your relationship because that testosterone is not going to cause your husband to become a jerk. You should want your husband on testosterone so he is more interactive with the kids, doing better at work, can give more to you whenever he gets home. Yeah, I think I've heard you say before, if you were a jerk before testosterone, you're probably going to be a jerk afterwards. And, you know, same thing with if you were a nice guy before, you're just going to have kind of more of the tools in your toolbox to be a better version of yourself. Will testosterone cause prostate cancer? So you talked about this at length with Doc, so I won't go too much into this. Short answer is no. There's some very good data on this that the biggest thing that this came from was that one trial in the 1970s, the Huggins article where he had three guys and showed one of them potentially got prostate cancer while on testosterone treatment. But all of the research since then has been very strong in saying that actually it could be protective against that. And 
basically, I always tell patients that when you go to your primary care doctor, they start checking your PSA at 40, maybe 50, and you get it done maybe once a year. And if you're in that zero to four range, that's normal. And they say you're fine. With any of the labs that we do here, we see patients every three to six months, and we check PSA every single time. So we might catch prostate cancer way more frequently than your your normal doctor would. It's not because you're on testosterone. It's because we're monitoring it for you, and we notice that you've had an increase from one to three, even though you're completely in the normal range we're going to send you for further workup and you might have prostate cancer that's really caught very early. Yeah, following the velocity change. And this one I find extremely frustrating. And like you mentioned, doctor and I did a podcast on this a couple weeks ago. But plain and simple, if a primary care doctor tells you that testosterone causes prostate cancer, they are 100% absolutely dead wrong. I cannot be more clear about this because I am frankly sick of hearing it. It is dead wrong information. And if you want more information on it, listen to Dr. and I's podcast on the topic. So that was the last question for today. As I mentioned, we're going to do a part two to this podcast and we're going to get through the rest of the FAQ list. As always, I will attach the supporting literature and documents and the show notes for you to read if you want to. And if you have any additional questions, you can reach out to podcast at amystuttle.com or you can email info at victorymenshealth.com if you have questions for Anna. And I appreciate you listening. And as always, we need you to follow and like, subscribe to the show. It really helps. And I appreciate everybody's time today. Thank you very much.